I miss the days of easy preaching. I'm just going to say. Back in the day, you know, there was Romans chapter 3 when all had sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, you know, but God had, you know, sent Jesus. And it's just so wonderful to preach that, you know. Or Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I just miss those days. Even Romans 12 was, uh, was pretty good, you know. I mean, uh, by the mercy of God, present your bodies living sacrifice. And, you know, until you got toward the end where he started talking about loving those and blessing those who persecute you. And that was a little harder. And this week, it's my privilege to talk to you about your government. So that's why I miss the days of easy preaching. Because it's not the easiest thing to talk about because there is a wide spectrum of things that we think about that. I mean, I just think of all the people who walked in this room, there are just about as many opinions about the way that our government is run uh, as there are people who walked in the room. So it's a, it's a challenge not to mention the level of animosity about the topic throughout our world in general. Uh, I've, I've never seen a time like it. In fact... I would, I mean, there, there are a number of things I hope will happen as a result of this message, but one of the things that I hope will happen is that you will recognize that we live in a different day. That we live in a day that is not as clean and easy as it was even five years ago. The world has changed around us. It's certainly different than it was when I started here different than it was when I grew up. It's different than it was when my parents were growing up. I mean, our, we live in a different world. I mean, for instance, it used to be that when somebody would make their way into our church, they would have a question for me. And it was generally the same question. The question was, what programs do you have? What do you have for children? What do you have for youth? What do you have for us? That was generally the question that people would ask on their way in. The question that people ask on their way into the church now is, will I be able to get along in your church if I don't like President Trump? And I'm not making that up. That happened to me this week. That's a really different question than I used to get. And you realize that the questions are only harder. I mean, that's somebody who wants to come to the church, right? If somebody doesn't want to come to the church, the questions are just, un, you know, they're, they're questions that really we can hardly even engage. We live in a different day. And this particular topic, the topic that, that Paul takes up in Romans 13, when he writes to a church who is born in the center of the known universe, Rome, the, the center of the Roman Empire. He is writing to them when Nero is king. This is like no small thing that he takes up the government, the topic of the government with this church who is living in the shadow of the empire. And so I think that it's worth our while to take a look at what uh, Paul says to the church in Rome about how they make their way in the Roman Empire. So, if you haven't yet, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 13 
And now begin reading in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So here, in Romans chapter 13, we have Paul's statement to the church about how the church is to live in a world Governed by men. How the church is to live as God's people in the midst of the Roman Empire. How the church is to behave as servants of the Almighty King when there is also demanded their allegiance to an earthly king. This is complicated and nuanced and it's not an easy thing to talk about in a clear and concise way. But I think it's worth, I think it's worth taking up and talking about. Uh, partly it takes up quite a bit of space here in Romans 13, but it comes right off the heels of the end of chapter 12 where he says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He says that and then he says, let me talk to you about the government. And probably, if you had been watching the news, and I would just happen to say, you know, don't be overcome by evil. You know, if you had to like turn down the TV for me to say that, you probably would like go, how am I supposed to do that? Because that's what you get on TV. That's what you get on the reports even about our own government, right? Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So... What does he say? Be subject to governing authorities. That's the first application he would say about doing what's good. And so this, this text about government has, has three commands in it. It has three imperatives that really form the, the, the action Christians are supposed to take about government. And so I just want to highlight those as we go through. And so we're going to survey once and then we're going to go back. Uh, and take a look at it again. He says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. That's the first imperative or first command. Be subject 
to governing authorities. His interest is that the church of Jesus Christ is known for being submissive, for being humble. And it's interesting that he does not specify to whom? To the governing authorities, as though there are many and multiple levels, and it be subject to them. But he does specify who is supposed to be subject? Every person. Every person. Not those who like what the government does. Not those who voted for him. Not those who were in favor of this legislation. Every person is subject to governing authorities. That's the first command that this text has. And it's one that really goes throughout the New Testament. It is the, it is the prevailing posture of the people of God that they are submissive to the government. That's what he says in 1 Peter. So, not just Paul, but Peter, who learned how to relate to the government straight from Jesus. As Jesus was hung on a Roman cross, Peter learned submission to government. Be subject. For the Lord's sake to every human institution. Same message coming from Peter. I love how he's, he's, he, he gives us the motivation. The motivation is, is um, implicit in Romans 13. It's explicit here in First um, Peter. And that is, be subject for the Lord's sake. You don't have to like the government. You don't have to, you don't have to agree with what they're doing, but for the Lord's sake, because it has to do with Jesus as supreme commander, that's why you're subject to every human institution. Whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence ignorance of foolish people. And so he does have the same themes going on with the same topic. Submitting to the government and doing good. Which leads us into the next command in Romans 13. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. Do what is good. Now with this Command. I mean, he's already talked about good, uh, I think, twice, maybe three times in Romans 12. And now he picks it up again in Romans 13 that says the church needs to be known for doing good. And I'm going to suggest to you that at our point in history right now, the church is not known for doing good. The church is known for what they're against. The church makes the news largely as a voting block. Not as those who have invested their lives to do good. And so here we have that challenge that God wants the church to devote themselves to doing what is good, to be known for their love, not for their legislation. So that you will receive their approval For He is God's servant for your good. 
Then he repeats the command to be in subjection or submission. And then the final command, pay to all what is owed them. Particularly, he's thinking of taxes. Which you've got to love that this time of year, don't you? Couldn't we talk about something other than that? Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes. And so it is a command on the level of doing good and submitting to the government to pay taxes. This is a, I mean, this is a hard word. I mean, I, I don't know if you started your taxes yet or not. I started mine and I gave up already. Okay, I'm going to have to go back to it. I'm going to have to take this passage and then sit down again and start over. Pay to all what is owed them. And so those are the commands in this text. Now I want to go back through because this isn't the, this isn't easy. He doesn't expect this to be easy. In fact, I've never, I don't remember a text that I have preached from that goes more out of its way to give you supporting material for why you should do something than this text. This text is loaded with reasons that you should be subject to the government, that you should do good, that you should pay your taxes. And so, let's go back through and I want you to see what the text says about why these things are important. So here's back at the top. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. Why? For, here's the reason. Therefore, here's another reason. For, there's another reason. Okay? He's given us reasons here. The reason is that there is no authority except from God. I mean, let that sink in for you for a minute. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God's appointed. What you have here is you have, you might say, a chain of command where God Himself has appointed those in government, those in authority. And think about that. Okay, you're reading, you're reading this and, and some of you immediately have in your mind the president. Others of you had in mind the preceding president. Some of you have our governor in mind. Some of you have the governor of Virginia in mind. But probably none of you have uh, the government of China or North Korea or Venezuela or Saudi Arabia or Iran in mind. But this is for them too. There's a church that meets in all of those places and all of them have to come to grips with the fact that those authorities, even those in conflict with one another, are instituted by God. This is not an easy black and white, oh, I got this nailed and it's never going to be hard again kind of thing. No, instead he says, this is what the church should be known for. The church should be known as a humble, submissive organization 
to those in authority because they understand that those in authority have been put there by God. And the Scripture is clear. It says that God raises up kings and deposes princes. We started the service off by saying the nations are but dust on the scales and a drop in the bucket. In the grand course of history, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't make it easier. But that's God's perspective. And so His reason for us to be subject is that ultimately, by being subject to those authorities, we are being subject to God Himself. The last reason, at least on this slide, is for the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. It is their job to protect. It is their job to suppress evil. It is their job to ensure the um, safety and the domestic tranquility of the people under their rule. And so you should be subject to them for that reason, because that's the purpose. Now, the, the connection here between the authority of God and the authority of those who are under Him but over you, I want you to note this because in the Old Testament, okay, again, they were a little different situation, but He says, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. And what he's doing here is he's throwing together two things as though they're the same thing. To curse a ruler of your people is to revile God. And so the the I mean this is falling right off the Ten Commandments, Exodus twenty two, the Ten Commandments are Exodus twenty. And what he's doing is applying the Ten Commandments as he builds out the the legal system, and he says, Listen. One of the ways that you do commandment number one and commandment number two and commandment number three is not cursing the ruler of your people. And so for some of us, we have to change. We have to change the way that we engage political ideas on Twitter or on Facebook. Because Facebook and Twitter are built for cursing. Frankly, they're built for tearing down and for shouting. They're not built for nuanced understanding of the real issues. They're built simply to shout. And when you say, this is how I'm getting my news, or this is how I'm going to participate, all you're doing is jumping right in to a problem that's inherent in the system. And so... Be subject for the sake of God who has instituted those um, authorities. So submit to them as though God put them there. Because He did. And then the second command, with all of its subsequent uh, explanations and motivations, is this. Do what is good and you will receive His approval. Why? Because He's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. Why? For he is the servant of God. He gives you the reason because this president, this governor, this legislature, 
They are servants of God. You're going to scratch your head, aren't you? And say, how does that even work? It works a lot of different ways. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is the Christian way of viewing the world. Is do good. Do good because it's the government's job to enable good as God's servant. Now, I mean, I'm, Paul is pushing the church in Rome with Nero as their king to submit to him. I mean, that to me is harder than anything I'm going to be asked to do in my lifetime. And Paul is asking them to do good underneath Nero's rule. And so, what do you think? What do you think the emperor, say, say a Roman, um, a Roman soldier intercepted this letter to the to the church in Rome, and here's this underground church, a sect of Judaism, as they thought. And Paul's writing this letter to this little church, and they're huddled. They're going to read it, but instead, it gets intercepted by a soldier from Rome, and he takes it. He takes it to the palace to read the letter, and they get to this part, and he says, "Be subject to the governing authorities." How do you think the emperor would feel about that? How do you think the emperor would feel about this sect called Christianity? One would think, oh, well, he's asking them, he's asking them to submit to the government. Surely, surely the emperor would love that. But you see, one of the chief issues with the Roman emperor was that he was considered to be a god. And the, in the constant idolatry that was pressed on the church in the first century was emperor worship. And they were under constant pressure to acknowledge that the king was supreme. And here you have a letter, a beautiful letter that says, submit to the king because he's not supreme. Submit to the king because... The king who thinks he's all that is nothing but a servant of the Hebrew God. How about that? You can bet the emperor would not have liked this letter. Because it's subversive. At the same time, it's recommending uh, submission. You see, I think that that is one of the things that we've lost is any kind of distinction between the way the church behaves in the world and their politics. Or the politics of the world. You see, this, this doing good, is, that's what God wants the church to be known for. So that the church is known for what they're for, not, what for their, not for what they're against. So that the church then is active in the world, much less worried about what they're doing in Washington or in Salem. But we are concerned to submit and to do good because of the relationship that our government 
or the government of North Korea or the government of Venezuela has with the God of the universe. Those governments are His servant. And so we treat them as such. And I mean, the language is crazy, isn't it? They are the servants of God. Do you realize the Apostle Paul, the author of much of your New Testament, considered himself a servant of God with the exact same language as he considers Nero a servant of God? Does not compute. But that's, that's the way he treats it. And so, you see this throughout the New Testament. In other places, in other churches, are also told, be submissive to rulers and authority, be obedient, be ready for every good work. It's the kind of the universal way the church relates to the governing authorities in the world. Therefore, the church must be in subjection. Okay, here's some more motivation, some more reasons. To avoid God's wrath. Note, note what he just did there, right? Did you see what he just did there? He just said that the, the government is instituted by God to suppress evil and to punish evil. Doesn't bear this sword in vain. To bear the sword. And then he said here, to avoid God's wrath. In other words, if you cross the governing authorities, you are crossing God Himself. If they execute justice on you, it is equivalent to the wrath of God for the wrongdoing that you've done. They're His agents. So, you want to avoid that. That's one of the reasons that you'll do this. The other reason is for the sake of your conscience. Because it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do to submit to the government. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Why? For the authorities are the ministers of God. You're just like, why do you keep saying that? This is actually this is actually even stronger. This is a religious term for a priestly minister. How he could possibly understand Nero to have that direct of a ministration or service to God, I don't understand. But he does. It's much easier for me to imagine that in our system, with our government, as much as I don't like about that. And this is why you also pay taxes, he says. So, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes are the main thing. Revenue, respect, and honor. We were talking about this um, last night around the dinner table. I was asking for help. It appeared this church wasn't going to get snowed out and I was going to have to have a sermon ready. <laughs> so I asked for help and, uh, you know, we were all over the place. Well, what about the governing authorities? Well, what about, uh, what about uh, teachers? What about coaches? What about bosses? I said, I got you. Okay, they're here. Give them what you owe them. Right? And at every level then, all the way through, you've got 
the church of Jesus Christ being submissive, one of the primary ways of doing that is to pay what you owe, namely your taxes, and to do good. And so, that's what you have. And this really is the expression of the words of Jesus <coughs> when he, he was um, tested by the religious leaders of his time. Uh, he was asked the very question we're asked, right? I mean, I'm not the first person to be asked this question. I, I've had these discussions. People have left our church because I've told them to pay their taxes. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? I'm going to tell you, Nero was going to do more bad things with tax money than our government does. I'm just going to guess that anyway, right? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness is on the inscription? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. I mean, what a brilliant stroke, right? The revenue, the taxes, has the image of Caesar on it. And so, don't fail to pay your taxes because it has Caesar's image. Well, who has God's image? And what do you owe the one, what do you owe the one to whom, whose image is on you, right? That's, his, that's essentially his thing. You owe yourself to God. And so taxes is a small thing if I owe all of me to God Himself. And so Jesus even advocated the same. And I'm sure that's in the back of Paul's mind that he's writing this to the church, the center of the Roman Empire. And so what do you, what do you make of all this? This is not a... I mean, it's not an easy, th- it's an easy thing to, to get this far at, right? And when you don't really have to put it into practice. Well, what does it look like when we put it into practice? What do I have to do in order to be subject, in order to do good, in order to pay my taxes? Or to think about it another way. If I could, if I could get in the back of Paul's mind and say, Paul, why this instruction? Why would you tell your church to act this way? Because he did it throughout the New Testament, so clearly he has in mind the church of Jesus Christ should be subject to the governments, however good or however bad, for the sake of King Jesus. Because they are citizens of another kingdom. And as citizens of another kingdom, you are subject to this kingdom for the sake of the true King. And so, why is he telling them to do it this way? I think if I, if I had to say, Paul's idea is um, for the church, with respect to the government, to keep their head down. To lie low. To not make a spectacle. To not be known for their politics. That's why he's urging the submission. So that, so that the Christians, if they're persecuted, they're persecuted for Christ's sake, not for political sake. So it's not about an issue, it's about the issue. 
And so he says, let's be subject here. I want the church, I want the church not to be so embroiled, so known for their politics or their, their relationship to the government that we lose their ultimate relationship to Jesus. And you see, that's why I'm getting the question when people come into the church. They're asking the question because the church is known for being a moral majority. And then for being the evangelical voting bloc. And then for being evangelical for Trump. Not for the doing good in the world. You see, that's what he wants us to be known for. And he's saying, when you're known for the wrong thing, you're playing the wrong game. You're trying to use the weapons of the world against them, and the weapon itself corrupts the message. So be submissive. Keep your head down. Lie low. And do good. And think about that. You have, you, you have Christianity born into a culture that's every bit on every issue as corrupt as ours. That's not fair. More corrupt than ours on every issue. Seriously. Whether it's, whether it's abortion, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's Me Too, whatever it is, they were worse than us. And the church is born in that soil. And He says, I want you to keep your head down and do good. So that it is not primarily about how you're going to affect legislation about abortion. Rather, it's about how you're going to care for children. How are you going to care for women who are in crisis? How are you going to love families? How are you going to invest in the foster care system? How are you going to promote adoption? You see, it's those things that the church should be known for, for doing good. So he says, be submissive and do good. I mean, that's, I mean, just most recently, even just eight days ago, we hosted Foster Parents Night Out in Wilsonville. Because the church needs to be known for that, not for how they vote. Not for who they back or what, what their political clout is going to be. And I get this all the time. I mean, I, I have fielded these questions now for 30 years. People coming to me saying, I think the church should get behind this candidate or this issue or this legislation. And for 30 years I fought it. And for 30 years I said, you know what? That's not the way that God tells the church to act in the world. He says, be submissive and do good. So that the investment of the energy of the church is not to create a voting block, but rather to create uh, an organization who serves the city in which they have been sent into exile. And we could pick any number of issues. I frankly picked probably the easiest one there, right? Because there are ways for the church to address welfare or substance abuse or homelessness. There's ways for the church to address immigration. 
in practical ways that go straight to submission to King Jesus. That's, I think, what he has in mind. And see, that changes the game then. So that we, in turn, are known as a church that does good. So that we might turn the world upside down. Now, I just am going to say this is written to the church in Rome at the beginning of Nero's um, reign in the 50s. This is written in the 50s. Not the 1950s, but the actual 50s, right? And it was written to church under Nero's reign. Less than 300 years later, the church of Jesus Christ overturned the Roman Empire. How did that happen? That did not happen because they got legislative power. That's 300 years. That's when they got it. And that's when the church, that corrupted the church. The way that they turned the Roman Empire upside down was because it was the Christians who cared for the sick. Everyone else would flee because there's a plague and they'd all run out of town to their relatives. And the Christians would stay and nurse the sick. And the sick would be loved for the sake of Jesus and would come to faith in Jesus. And the Christians and the, the, the sick who got better then were there. And when everyone came back, they came to a Christian city. The church overcame the Roman Empire because unlike the world around them, they cared for women. And they, they were against abortion. And so they had more babies. And so their families were happier and healthier and they flourished when the structure of the world around them crumbled. And this compounded by time, among a few other things, transformed the world. You see, and that is simply what we're being invited into here at Romans 13. is to be subject to to the governing authorities, and to do good in a way that transforms society. And so I, I, I want to close with this, and I've been told never introduce a new idea at the end of your talk, but I'm going to. Because there's really only there's one, there's one idea about how we relate to government that Romans 13 didn't talk about. So I just want to make sure you get that. Because it goes, it goes so well with all the rest of the stuff. And that is, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So here, in, in Paul says to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus, I want you to pray for your leaders. Everybody who's in authority, kings and all those in high positions, pray for them. And so that's one of the things that you can do. And one of the indications that, yes, in fact, you get this, is that you're going to pray for them. Why? So that we might lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. His, his idea is that we're going, to, we're going to submit to them and pray for them. In fact, just a good idea to pray for those you submit to all the time. We're going to pray for those 
that I submit to so that the church might live in such a way that they can effectively communicate the Gospel of Jesus Christ so that others might recognize that the most important thing about this world is not who's in charge, but the fact that Jesus is King over it. So that we can live in a peaceful way. And that's what he says. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And what he's giving them here is a way to relate to the government so that the Gospel moves forward. So that people can hear and then receive the good news in a way that they'll respond to it because that's what God's after. And so, I want to put that out there for you. Because we have lots of different opinions represented in this room. And we can have all sorts of views of what our government is doing, but the view that I want to stick with you is that your government is a servant of the real King. And that you are first and foremost citizens of another kingdom and your allegiance is there and to the degree that you are praying and doing good and being submissive, you are subversive that the other kingdom might take root and grow. That to me is the agenda of the church of Jesus Christ as laid out in Romans chapter 13. May God help us to live in that way, even this tax season. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, this is a, this is a challenging thing to put into practice. It's, it's hard to govern my tongue or my, um, my fingers as I type a social media post. But Father, would You grant us grace to do that? Father, would You forgive us when we have made our citizenship in our earthly kingdom more important than the citizenship we have in the heavenly kingdom? Father, would You help us not to shout, but to understand? And then most of all, Father, would You commit us to doing good in every way we can that Jesus might be lifted up and exalted and loved by people who don't yet know Him. And so for His sake, we ask for Your help. For His sake, we ask that You would enable Your church to live in this world, in this broken world that doesn't work like it should. Father, would You help us to live like we, like we should. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.